And now, please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, we have the familiar text of John the Baptist crying out from the wilderness for all to come and get baptized in the River Jordan. It's a text that shows up in all four Gospels in some form or another. There are endless artistic renditions of this, of this famous scene. John in his camel hair dunking one new person after another into that warm, slow-moving water. Or if you're a Congregationalist, perhaps John is just sprinkling a little water on the head. What's remarkable about this text is that for me, it's always carried a harsh edge. I'm not sure about you. At the center of the text is this call for repentance. Repent of your sins, for the day has drawn near. I can't help but hear this text and shudder a bit. Repent of my sins? Oh no. What did I do now? I must have done something wrong. Oh miserable sinner that I am. Even though I've read through this text countless times, for some reason my mind goes to that interpretation that is full of judgment. Have I watched too many movies with preachers that spew fire and brimstone? Are my Virgo perfectionist tendencies coming to the fore? Oh no, I didn't get an A on that assignment. I must be a bad person. Perhaps it's the clothing or personality of John the Baptist himself that elicits this response in me. John evokes this ascetic living in the desert, depriving himself of material comforts for the sake of the kingdom. I can see the fire in his eyes. I can almost hear him whisper, be as self-denying as I am. I keep seeing those old images of John Brown, that abolitionist who raided Harper's Ferry in 1859, a man so driven by principle that his very life and the life of others mattered little. Okay, if you're anything like this, if your mind goes to this place of judgment when you hear this text, I have one word for you. Stop. Stop. This passage is not some negative text that should fill you with impending guilt. This is literally, as the first line of this text says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Happy. As I've said before, and it is worth repeating, the Greek word translated as repentance, metanoia, literally means change of mind and heart. It's about a turning around of your life. It's about setting off in a new direction. It's about trying to find God more authentically in your life. That is what turning away from sin means. Turn away from those things that keep you from being with God, connected to others, and at peace with yourself. Embrace the good news. Choose to be happy, authentically happy. Now, if John the Baptist wants to go wear camel hair in the desert, good for John. I might question his fashion choices, but I'm not going to judge him for it. Go wear camel hair. Probably one of those really nice camel hair top coats that keep you warm in winter. Is John's diet a little odd? Honey and locusts? Yeah, I'd say so. I might applaud him for choosing a good sugar, honey, rather than high fructose corn syrup. I might also encourage him to eat a little more heartily. He's got important work to do. But hey, good for him. I'm sure that locusts must be a good source of fiber. Now this passage, this passage is unrestrainedly good news, which is why we find it in the lead up to Christmas. Good things are happening. Good things are on the horizon. The key message of this passage is to prepare for it. Let us get ready for some good times, for some good news. Let's make the path in the desert straight, 
or for some of us, not quite so straight. But let's make a path anyway. There is undoubtedly a lot of preparation that needs to happen this season. We need to prepare. Preparing during Advent is good. There is the Christmas tree and decorations. Got to prepare for that. Gifts, most certainly gifts. Got to prepare for that. If you're someone who likes traditional Christmas pudding or fruitcake, those things take time to prepare. Get to work on it now if you want it ready for the big day. Perhaps you're preparing for an upcoming trip, but then again, it'll probably just be to Galveston or the Woodlands, given the fact this is the coronavirus time. But still, so much preparing to do. But the preparation that John the Baptist talks about here is not about Christmas preparation as we normally think about it. We are to prepare for the coming of Jesus, who will then baptize us with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds cool, or hot, as the case may be. Want to know what the baptism with the Holy Spirit feels like? Just ask your friendly neighborhood Pentecostal. This is good stuff. We're preparing for the ecstatic presence of God within us. So let's get on with the business of preparing. There's much prepping that needs to be done. It turns out that, for many of us, there are certain things that get in the way of embracing a full life, a Holy Spirit-kissed life. Some things hold us back. All too often, one of those things that prevents us from receiving our, pro- receiving our promised presence of God is our past. I'm not trying to invoke Dickens' A Christmas Carol here and his Ghost of Christmas Past, although it is an apt literary reference. I want us, as part of our preparation during this season of Advent, to think on our lives, think on our pasts, because our past can haunt us. When we think on them, they, they, they can bring up with them a cascade of negative emotions. And this, ne- this negativity from our past can cloud our experience of the present and even our hope for the future. So if we're going to prepare adequately for the season, we must spend some time thinking about those things in the past that bring us down. And fortunately, we have some help in this task. Now this week, I've been reading a new book. I know that comes as a surprise to all of you. (laughs) The book I've been furiously plowing through is Martin Seligman's Authentic Happiness. Seligman is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and is one of the leaders of the positive psychology movement, an outgrowth of cognitive behavioral therapy. Generally, psychology has been focused on how to heal us from various pathologies or or medical issues. Seligman and others have asked why these same research methods cannot be put towards making us happier and making us more satisfied people. Now, this is not Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking. These are rigorous scientific studies about the nature of happiness. And it turns out that our perceptions of our own past can play a role in our current happiness. It turns out that we do have some control over how our remembered pasts influence us. If we want to prepare for the great coming of God, this research can help us think through some of the difficult experiences that stick with us and cloud our thinking. Seligman identifies three things we can do to free us from the negative emotions about our past. And I love the fact that he offers three things because it makes writing a three-point sermon so much easier. Thank you, Dr. Seligman. So, If we're going to address those things that haunt us from our past, the first thing we must do is to ditch any deterministic notions we might have rolling around inside our heads. What do I mean by that? 
So often we have in our heads this notion that our past actions somehow determine or limit our future. We might have failed in one endeavor or another. Then that failure, haunt, that failure haunts us, and it creeps into our heads that we ourselves are failures. When a similar situation arises, we back off, afraid or timid. Oh, I already know how that will go, so why try? Among my friends, this is most common in the realm of dating. One date didn't go well. One person never texted back. Next thing you know, that friend goes down the rabbit hole of, I'm never going to find anyone. Nobody likes me. Let's face it, I'm not someone anyone wants. I mean, that's nonsense. There are six million people in, in the Houston metro area. Just because, you know, maybe a few dozen don't like you, doesn't mean that you won't find someone. Your past does not determine your future. In a similar way, some people get in their heads that something in their family background is doomed to haunt them. I think of my father, who was someone who was constantly stressed out at work. And there have been times when I've thought to myself, it's all in my genes. I'm destined to be forever stressed out at work. Sigh, woe is me. Now that's nonsense. Yes, I might have a genetic predisposition to stress out over minor things. <laughs> Anyone who has known me for any length of time can attest to my well-honed capacity to manufacture stress. If they gave out PhDs for such things, I would, be a, I would be a distinguished professor of the art form. But to take the next step and say that I'm doomed to be a stress case is simply untrue. I'm not alone in stressing over things. It's practically endemic in our society. And you know what? there are a lot of effective and, and healthy ways to cope with stress. And there are whole shelves of books on the matter, although those books only take up one shelf in my library. <laughs> it's a big shelf. <laughs> the past does not need to determine my future. Will stress always be an issue for me? Perhaps. Is it my guaranteed future? Not at all. I mean, we're in the middle of a once-in-a-hundred-year global pandemic. What possible thing is there to stress over? So that's the first thing that we should do if we want to prepare to receive joy into our lives. Ditch the, ditch the deterministic stuff. Freud was wrong. Some subconscious memory from your childhood will not determine your life. In this regard, we are far better to take the words of the poet William Ernest Henley. And again, this is, these are words I'm sure you've heard before. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The second thing we have to do to wrestle with our pasts is to think more deeply about the nature of our memories. We all have had bad things happen to us. Some of us have had to deal with truly tragic events, like the death of a child or another loved one. Some of us have seen our businesses fail or been out of work. Some of us have been through difficult divorces. Some of us have struggled with mental, with mental illness or addiction. These past events have shaken us to our very core. Whenever these memories surface, which they're bound to do, especially this time of year, we're filled with negative emotions. Sometimes these negative emotions are so strong that even the recollection of certain memories can ruin our day. This is powerful stuff. And the last thing I want to do is to discount these very real emotions. But there are ways to deal with these past events that can soften the blow or perhaps even change them altogether. 
We have a powerful tool in our toolbox when addressing our memories, and that is gratitude. I know it might sound like an odd thing to say when discussing hard times. Gratitude is not the first thing that comes to mind. And yet, psychologists have shown over and over again the power of gratitude to reshape our memories and also our emotions. Gratitude can indeed be life-changing. For me, coming out of the closet was an experience that was not easy. I struggled a lot with it. I went through some very dark times, times that I usually try not to remember. And yet, over time, I've been able to shift to a place of deep gratitude for what I went through. Coming out made me so much more attuned to the suffering of others. Because I had been through a difficult time, I could empathize so much more with others going through hard times. This is particularly true with those who have had to endure discrimination. As a privileged white male, I have to be honest that I didn't see the effects of discrimination against others for a long time. But having felt discrimination myself, things are different. I have so much more sympathy for the struggle of women and people of color, among others, for the discrimination they've had to face. Coming out, I would say, has made me a better person and a better Christian. Moreover, it has made me an immeasurably happier person. My father did not have an easy time with my coming out. The two of us had a lot of struggles over it in our relationship. But I will never forget one conversation we had when he looked at me and said, John, you seem so much happier these days. And as your father, it makes me happy. That meant so much to me. And as a result of my experience, I have been able to counsel so many people who have gone through their own coming out experiences. Looking back on it, I am grateful for coming out and most definitely would not have had it any other way in spite of the hard times. And I know the same thing holds true for many of you who have gone through, say, difficult divorces. Divorce can be so tough on so many. It can tear families apart and lead to lots of expressed hatred. And yet I've spoken with people who have been able to get to a place of being grateful even for a difficult divorce. These people can now see what they received from their former spouse and the good times they did have together. They can also see how divorce has changed them for the better and how much happier they were after they went through it. Now, this is not to say that our suffering is a good thing or an easy thing. That is not the case at all. But what I am saying is that our capacity to be grateful for the good things, even amidst the bad, can be healing. My father died far too young from cancer. I miss him terribly sometimes, as I know my mother and siblings do. But I am grateful for the time that I had with him, for what I learned from him, for how he shaped me as a person, and for the parts of him that remain with me. That doesn't remove the sting of his loss, but it does make it easier to handle, and it makes my memories of him richer and more satisfying. Now, we can also be intentional about being grateful for the good things of our past, as well as the difficult times. Martin Seligman, in his book, Authentic Happiness, tells the story of an exercise that he does with his classes on positive psychology. He asks certain members of the class to choose one person they'd like to thank. Then he has them write up a statement of gratitude and invite those individuals to an evening gathering with the other members of the class. The students don't tell the person why he or she is invited. Then, during the gathering, 
the students get up one by one and read their statements on gratitude to the individuals. Seligman says that the experiences are life-changing. In every evaluation of his classes, the students highlight that one evening as the most impactful class or assignment of the whole semester by far. It's amazing to see what gratitude can do to make our memories happier and to invoke positive emotions. Of course, there are other memories from our past that stick with us for different reasons. Those are the experiences when we were hurt by someone for something that he or she did to us. We carry with us certain wounds that have never fully healed. When that person comes to mind, he or she evokes nothing but bitterness and anger. In these cases, the most healing thing we can do is to forgive. Forgiveness is not easy. Any of us who've had to forgive some, for, for someone else for grave wrongdoing can know how hard it can be. But forgiveness can change our memories of a past hurt and can allow us to move on with more optimism and less damage. Forgiveness, true forgiveness, involves naming the reality of what actually happened. We have to be honest about the facts, about what actually occurred. We have to be honest about our feelings and the memory that it brings to mind. But then we can begin to analyze the situation more clearly. What was the other person thinking? What might have been his or her motivations for acting? How am I hurting myself by holding on to my anger? Can I imagine the freedom that comes from letting go? A few months ago, a friend of mine hurt me deeply. After being friends for several years, he abruptly cut me off with very little explanation. What little explanation he gave left me feeling hurt and confused. I had been there for this individual through lots of tough times that he had. And then, for seemingly little reason, he lashed out at me and cut me off. When I let my own feelings settle, I reached out to him to reconcile, and he never responded. His lack of response and his lack of willingness to talk things through hurt me almost as much as his initial rejection. Later, as this kept bothering me, I talked about it with a dear friend of mine. I explained the situation, and I even showed him our text exchanges. This friend, who was wise beyond his years, had me step into my other friend's shoes and try to think what he was going through or might have been going through. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that my former friend was likely in a very bad place himself. In all likelihood, his situation had as much, if not more, to do with his actions towards me than something I had done. This realization allowed me to let go and to forgive him. And I do hope, once this pandemic is over, that I run into this friend who hurt me. And if I do, I want to let him know that I forgive him. Things happened. Sometimes things happen that we don't like. But we can't let them control us or our futures. That is a recipe for misery and bitterness. And I choose a different path. Today is Advent 2. And it's a day in which I encourage us to hear the call of John the Baptist in the wilderness. Let us turn back to God, the ground of our being, and let us prepare ourselves for the coming of God into our lives in new and surprising ways in the future. In order to do that, let us begin by looking at our pasts. Our past does not determine our future, and nor should it. The future is open and open to great things that will come into our lives in ways in which we will grow. Let us be grateful for our pasts, including the parts of our pasts that have been struggles. And let us do our best 
to forgive past hurts that might linger. You, each of you, are remarkable people. You have been shaped by your past experiences in ways that make you the amazing person that you are. That is something to celebrate. And it is something that we celebrate as we look forward to a bright future, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that will show up in a myriad of ways. Prepare the way through the wilderness. This is Advent. Jesus is coming.